Toby, what do you call a cow with two legs? I don't know. <laughs> Lean beef. <laughs> <laughs> it, if it's got no legs, it's ground beef. <laughs> oh, that's the best one in a while, and I'm a vegetarian, so that's uh, <laughs> even better. Um, <laughs> you're listening to a brand new episode of Better Emerge. Welcome to episode 65 of Battery Mates. I am Matthew and I'm joined by Toby. Toby, thank you. This is episode 65. We now qualify for Medicare, which is not a, <laughs> not a factor for me in the UK as we have socialism and healthcare for all <laughs> at all ages. Um, we've got a great episode coming up uh, primarily because we're talking to Kate Stam in London about uh, uh, the movie Sugar at the, in the latest episode, uh, lep- latest feature. Yeah. of battery mates at the movies uh, somebody's leaning on their horn outside uh, in excitement um, uh, <laughs> that's really put me off um, but I want to say happy Memorial Day to everyone, we're recording this late on uh, Memorial Day uh, evening uh, I've stayed up late um, Toby, how's your weekend been? Oh, it's been fantastic, it's been just just a really great weekend it's been a good weekend for Cleveland sports I'll say that much um, but uh, even better weekend for Bartolo Colon. Um, not such a good weekend for Rudy Giuliani. Uh, should we talk about it? So, so quickly, Rudy Giuliani booed for, on his birthday at a Yankees game. Good on them. Good on the Yankees fans. Finally get one right. Don't say that often. Yeah, you don't say that very often. However, there's now uh, footage has surfaced of him being booed throughout the years at Yankee Stadium. So I kind of feel like it has nothing <laughs> to do with Trump. But, um, you know, you got to credit where credit's due. He's boo-worthy. Boo for his whole career. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think it's fascinating. We don't talk about Bartolo Colon, Bartolo Colon enough on this program, um, and I don't know why. It really, honestly, we could keep talking about him every week. Um, he turned 45 this week, and they make, they put him older than six uh, Major League Baseball managers, um, older than the guy who runs the Texas Rangers front office, his current boss, John Daniels. Five years older, by the way. Um, and since he debuted uh, in April 1997, only two players... Oh, so he's one of two active players who's, uh, who actually played a game in the 90s. Um, and since he debuted in April 1997, he's now witnessed uh, the show, TV show Roseanne canceled twice. So... <laughs> Juan Soto, who debuted for the Washington Nationals uh, last week or 10 days ago, was not alive when Bartolo Colon <laughs> debuted in the Major League. And I think he wasn't even born until after his second season. That's the thing. Like, he was born in, like, late 98, right? Yeah, he was born in late 98. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, Bartolo Colon wasn't even a rookie when, when Juan Solo <laughs> Soto was born. That is, I mean, that's crazy. He's, he is an old dude, and he's not... I mean, you get some older players, like Jason Worth uh, uh, finished up for the Nationals last year. He, he was 39. Uh, and... But you, those players who are like old have really, really done the work to keep themselves in some kind of decent shape. Bartolo <laughs> Colon has, has has not done that. No, and baseball loves him for it. It's just, it's and I don't know. There should be 
there will be a, a statue to Bartolo Colon somewhere in, 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 in the various baseball stadiums uh, in the near future, hopefully. Um, yeah. And it's going to be... Don't make it, just don't make it out of anything expensive. <laughs> oh, oh Bartolo. Um, stooping low. He's, he's, <laughs> he's very large. Um, it's all muscle, though. Come on. Should we go around the horn quickly? Let's go around the horn. Um, I start off? Yeah, you get the ball. Uh, so I, w- I want to talk about um, uh, Roy Gleason. Uh, mm-hmm. Roy Gleason um, uh, was a, uh, a, a, a player for the Los Angeles Dodgers soon after uh, Los Angeles stole Brooklyn's Dodgers away f- from them. Um, he uh, had a, a two or three seasons in the, in the minor leagues uh, in, the, in the 60s. Um, and uh, got called up to uh, play for the the Dodgers in the World Series um, in uh, six, 1963. Um, it was kind of a you know like ex, uh, you know, expanded uh, roster situation. He only uh, uh, he, he's, he's, he played eight games, but seven of them he was only pinch running. Mm. Um, but in uh, in his eighth game, uh, he got he got called up um, uh, to actually hit um, and. Uh, uh, he was, uh, I, I just quote him. Um, I, I was so amped up with adrenaline that I turned to the catcher after the first pitch and said, why is he throwing a change up first pinch pitch to a pinch hitter? And the catcher said, that's his fastball. Rook. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I thought the next one would be in my ear, but, uh, he threw the same pitch, uh, on the inside corner. Gleason, um, uh, uh, turned on it and hit a line double down the left field line. And uh, 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 scored, uh, he hit her double and scored uh, three runs. Um, it was the only time he had an at bat uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers in his career, and so finished his MLB career uh, with a thousand uh, batting average. He didn't know it was going to be his uh, only at bat because um, he, he had uh, been drafted uh, 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 during the Vietnam War. Uh, but rated a 3A. So he was going to avoid it. Uh, that got changed for some reason that no one really understood or knew. Still not had an explanation. Got changed to a, a 1A and got shipped out to, to Vietnam. He's the only uh, active Major League Baseball player to have served in Vietnam. Wow. While he, while he was there um, out on patrol, um, uh, uh, the patrol he was on um, uh, came under attack and uh, the guy right in front of him um, uh, was killed by a, an explosive device. He was shot through the elbow and the um, uh, uh, hip, I think it was, um, and was awarded a bronze star for uh, a bravery under fire and uh, obviously a, a purple heart. Uh, so he's the only baseball player um, in, in Major League history to have both a, uh, a, a thousand batting average in the World Series and a purple heart. Uh, he's also the only guy to, uh, I think I mentioned, he's the only guy to have, have fought in, in Vietnam and and played uh, baseball. But the, the, the amazing thing about the story is that um, he, because he was in the World Series, he got a, a World Series ring in, in 63 and he took it with him to Vietnam, kept it in his footlocker. But after he was injured, he was medevaced out. He went to Japan first and then recovered in, in Hawaii before making it home. And when they sent him his footlocker back, his ring had gone. Wow. It just disappeared. Um and there's a really great video I watched yesterday, uh, sorry, this morning, um, from 2003. The LA Dodgers had uh, uh, Gleason throughout a first pitch at a game. 
and um, uh, surprised him on the field um, uh, with uh, uh, a new a new 1963 uh, World wow. Series uh, ring on the field. It's really it's really incredible um, to watch. Um, it, it's just a really really powerful uh, video, and um, uh, apparently uh, his son mentioned in this uh, great USA Today uh, piece I just read that he's, he wears it every single day. Uh, so he, when he got back from Vietnam, um, uh, after recovering from his injuries, he never made it back out of the minors and went on to, uh, to do other stuff. He now works, um, uh, in, in, in hospitality, but I just thought it was a really cool story to, um, take a moment on, uh, Memorial day. I know we're not going to release this actually on Memorial day, but, um, for you know, people uh, think back, uh, take a look at the video and the USA today piece. Both of them are, are really powerful. I'll include them in the email that we're going to uh, send out this week. Um, uh, from our tiny newsletter, but, uh, I thought it was just a really cool story and a really, a really, a really great guy. Yeah. I've never heard that story before. So that's, I'm learning something on our show. Um, which is, that's the first time I've ever said that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go for my first up here. Uh, this is pretty short, but, um, I, you know, we, we talked a little bit last season about what the possibility of the ball being juiced. Um, and I think MLB actually, uh, Commission a study that uh, seems to have confirmed at least some independent research that says that at least some degree the, the, the makeup of the ball, the consistency of the ball is uh, responsible for the increase in home runs or partly responsible. Um, I, I, you know, I think the, the one really interesting uh, point, uh, I'm sure there's a lot still to be made of this uh, and what Major League Baseball is going to do, um, whether it involves humidors and things like that, but... Um, you know, one one thing that was pointed out by uh, writer Joe Sheehan, um, he, he commented that, you know, it's worth noting that in t- the year 2000, there were 5,693 home runs, um, and that was before drug testing, and, we, you know, you know we, we recognize that as, like, kind of the peak of the steroid era. Um, and then last year, there were 10,000, or there were 6,105 home runs um, and over 10,000 drug tests. So we... We attribute the increase in home runs in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s to you know, uh, PEDs, but we now know that the ball is at least partly, if not greatly, responsible for a giant jump in, in uh, home runs uh, now. It, it, it's, is it worth looking into whether, or is it possible to look into how much of an impact those steroids actually have? And considering how much of an impact it's had on like Hall of Fame vote and our perception of that era, um, it is worth it's worth looking into, and I, I think it's 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 super super interesting, and I, and I think uh, at least to some degree, kind of uh, it, it kind of indicates that we're may, we may be making too much of the uh, uh, of the, the steroid era as a, as a, and calling them all those players cheaters and whatnot. It's, it's still you know still a lot remains to be seen, but um, I thought that was a really interesting uh, point that he was trying to make there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I tried to read. I tried to read some of the report, and it's 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 crazy. Like you just sort of imagine that the balls are juiced or they're not juiced. They're, they've right. done something to them, <laughs> but it's actually like it seems to be like they're they're, they're trying to argue that it's it's something to do with the the origin materials. That there's something that's right. changed in the in the in the nature of the. I just thought it was a, a you know 
maybe I'm cynical, but I thought that they were just bullshitting when they were denying it. And it's interesting, like the level of detail in this report, I couldn't get past the first page. It was very boring. <laughs> right. It was very boring. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've really got into it. Um, all right. My, my next one is uh, I want to talk about Anthony Rizzo. Um, I don't know if this this uh, is a, a, a late evening thing. Um, I don't know if people saw it, but Anthony Rizzo um, was coming home on a on a play, uh, was going to be clearly um, out and slid into uh, the Pirates catcher, Elias uh, Diaz, um, and completely took him out. Uh, Diaz uh, threw the ball away um, as he was like in the motion of, of throwing. And instead of uh, just having a straight out, um, the Cubs scored three. And it was really interesting. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. Like, is Anthony Rizzo a dirty cheat? And what what is what are the rules here? Is like Diaz was not was not really blocking um, home. There was there was a channel, but Rizzo um, doesn't stray from the from the um, the baseline. Doesn't you know go past the 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 home plate? So you know, in many ways, you can understand why the umpires didn't call it um, a double play. But he really takes Diaz out. Yeah, and um, you know, there's I. Uh, um, I, I heard a guy on ESPN talking about it, and and his line was like, "Look, the, you don't need to you don't need to read through the rules. The there's there's technicalities, and 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 maybe he wasn't out on a technicality, but the the the, the culture that the game needs is that this is not a contact sport. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Rizzo was asked about it after the game, and he just he said, "You have to go in and break up the double play." That, that that's his line you have to you have to break up the double play and the way you do that is by deliberately going into somebody and you know i, I think it's, it's I, I don't really understand the rules closely enough to say whether it was actually against the letter of the of the law but i think there's something to that that this is just not a contact sport and going in like that you can really really hurt someone he managed to if you look closely he managed to keep his spikes out of, of things, but um, you can break somebody's leg doing that, as Chase oh. Hartley will tell you. I, I, I broke my ankle on a very similar play at second base uh, in, when I was in high school. Um, someone slid high into, into my leg and broke my ankle in two places. Uh, and I was never the same, Matthew. Um, thank, thank goodness this, I forget the guy's name, which I feel bad about. Um, the catcher <laughs> on the Pirates. Uh, the catcher on the Pirates. Um, yeah, it seems like a, I, I think that I watched the replay a couple times, and the announcers, the Cubs announcer, were saying it's a good baseball play. Um, I don't know. I think that's a, you know, I think people are raised to, uh, it, you know, Rizzo spent his entire career um, knowing that that's the right baseball play. But we've changed the rules in the last couple of years um, yeah. because catchers have been pretty severely injured um, and career-altering injuries too. Like you know, you really hurt somebody not just for. This season, you could take them out for the rest of their, their career. So, yeah. and the the Joe Madden quote is kind of um, has really stuck with me. He he said it was a perfect play by Rizzo. My concern is they're teaching the the fans the wrong thing. The fans' reaction to Riz the next time he comes up indicates they think he did something wrong. That's how you should teach your kids to slide to break up a double play at home plate. And I just I just think no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah. Maybe maybe in hockey. But like this is this is not that kind of context sport. You're not trying to get out there and hurt people, which you, you it's very hard to avoid hurting someone. I think this is a similar discussion to deliberately trying to hit someone. Like the unwritten rules of when do you go out and um, try and hit somebody? 
I think the game is just moving past the point at which you say this is a game in which you are physically attempting to hurt somebody. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, and the thing is, like, the catcher was clearly trying trying to avoid blocking the base path. Like, he was out of out of his yeah. path. Um, so even on hard slide, um, under the letter of the, the the rules, I think shouldn't have had much contact. So not that's that much direct contact anyway. Um, right. Anyway. Wrapping things up here uh, around the horn, um, I just want to comment briefly on the Sergio Romo experiment the Rays have been trying out. I think this is a um, fascinating, you know, as we talk about the, the evolution of the bullpen and relievers in general, it's a fascinating little experiment. And I love Kevin Cash, the, the Rays manager, who was once the Indians uh, bullpen coach um, for, for trying things out like this. He's, he's got, it's this very, you know, a unique uh, it's not just a bullpen game. He's actually starting the game with a high-leverage pitcher in a high-leverage situation um, and then turning it over to a quote-unquote starting pitcher in the second or third inning. Um, it's fascinating. It's really interesting uh, to see how long this experiment goes for and how, what the results look like. It's gotten a lot of, like, more, kind of, it's more controversial than I thought it would be. Um, I thought people might think it was stupid or something like that, but there's, there's stories like this NBC story that Zach Cozart thinks the way the Rays are using Sergio Romo is bad for baseball. <laughs> it's like um, that it's just not right that a, a pitcher who starts the game isn't going to pitch, you know, uh, go, go as far as he can into the game. I think that's really, that's dumb. Um, but I think the one criticism I think is, is, is pretty relevant is this will be a, a, a situation they're going to have to resolve in the next collective bargaining agreement because right now um, starting pitchers and closers are highly, much more highly valued in when it comes to uh, salaries. And they use stats like saves and games started and wins and innings pitched to determine value. Um, whereas now the high leverage reliever who, like an Andrew Miller or Sergio Romo, who's getting a start here, um, uh, or getting asked to, to, to pitch multiple innings in the, in the biggest moments of the game, um, those players, it'll be interesting to see how those players are valued um, and if there's gonna be anything uh, any kind of change in the, in the way um, you know, the players union uh, approaches this moving forward. So anyway, it's super interesting, and I, I think it's, the experiment still remains to be seen how, how it's going to go, but um, I'm glad somebody's trying it. I'm glad someone's trying it, and I'm really an, uh, unspeakably irritated by the pearl-clutching of <laughs> <Right>. purists <laughs> who, uh, you know, like what do you expect the Rays to do in a division – uh in the same when they're in the same division as new york and boston like that's just you have to set the rules to allow you know either either for people to work out how to compete or to ensure that the competition isn't so unfair you know if you if you don't want that to happen lower the luxury tax you know you're not gonna they're not gonna do that because the players won't sound right so i think the razor i think is an interesting thing i wouldn't want it to i wouldn't want that to be something the nationals did but you know, I if we were in a much smaller market, then I'd want them to at least try it. Well, in the same way that the rules are uh, evolving to protect players and not, not have them injured on slides and whatnot, um, you know, the game's evolving in terms of strategy. It's really interesting. Yeah. We're yeah. for it. Um, <laughs> should we take a quick word from our sponsor before we uh, move on to our Battery Mates and Movies segment? Let's do it. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by Baby Shusher. Tap into the ancient art of rhythmic shushing. It's loud, it's rude, and it's intrusive, just like your awkward Uncle Doug. And just like your awkward Uncle Doug, babies also find it 
strangely soothing. But Baby Shusher isn't just for fussy offspring anymore. Give it a try on a Yankees fan who thinks Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball. Or perhaps try it out on a national announcer who gleefully starts commenting on a no-hitter in the fifth inning. We promise the Baby Shusher will save you. And Battery Mates listeners get a special offer of 15% off by buying it in person at the Battery Mates retail store. Our thanks to Baby Shusher, the sleep miracle. Great. So uh, thank you as ever to our sponsor. And uh, this week, more important than ever, they've uh, allowed us to uh, fly in Cape from Los Angeles to join us in the studio and, and uh, review um, this week's this week's movie, Battery Mates at the Movies. We covered Sugar. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious. Okay, we're now joined by Kate Save in London for the fourth edition of uh, Battery Mates of the Movies. Kate, thanks for joining us and for uh, saving this uh, so far very poor episode of Battery Mates. Thanks for being with us again. Wow, I can't wait to listen to the rest of the episode <laughs> after that really exciting tea The problem is our I, listeners have already listened to the rest of the episode, so they, <laughs> they don't have games. This is just like, so last week I, I watched um, the pilot episode of Suits, which I had never seen before. And it was like, I knew what Princess Megan didn't know, that she would someday become Princess Megan. And so now our listeners are having that same experience of knowing <laughs> what I don't yet know, which is how bad the rest of the episode is well, going to be. <laughs> those listeners who are still with us, uh, <laughs> the, the drop-off has, drop has probably been severe. I'm really excited about this Um uh, segment because for the first time and the only time I think I I suggested the movie which we're going to review Sugar and neither of you have seen it I don't think that we can say that about any other baseball movie ever yeah I can, I can. yeah especially if there aren't any other baseball movies you've seen <laughs> no 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 a hundred percent of the other baseball movies I've seen I've seen specifically to talk about on this podcast <laughs> War Games <laughs> but, isn't a baseball movie is it uh war games there is like a baseball cap in in that movie um and uh, some of the game theory involved is obviously prevalent in anyway let's move on kate why don't you uh, set the scene with uh with your with your summary of the movie Great. Um, so Sugar is a movie that was written and directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who are uh, best known as indie filmmakers. So this was the movie that they made right after they made Half Nelson, uh, which was the breakout film for a guy named Ryan Gosling, who you may oh. have heard of. So Ryan Gosling had done The Notebook and then he did Half Nelson, which is this little indie movie about um a teacher who has a drug issue and Ryan Gosling got an Academy Award nomination for that film. So that's like a big deal, right? And you kind of would think that these two filmmakers would go and make a big Hollywood movie next. That's sort of like the trajectory for indie filmmakers. You have a breakout and then you get to cash your, your big paycheck. And instead they took a real left turn and chose to make this very small movie about um, a Dominican baseball player who comes to the U.S. to play minor league ball and eventually has to make a decision about whether this is really the right career path for him. I think it's notable that the film is, I think, at least 50 percent in Spanish, if mm -hmm. not 
more. And the whole film is subtitled, whether it's in Spanish or English, which I thought I kept on thinking that I had done it wrong on my TV. And I was like, <laughs> off, off, turn the subtitles off. But that's just a choice they made for the whole film. Um, which is really uh, interesting. And sort of as with many independent films, there's kind of not a lot to summarize in terms of plot. Like I, I did it already. You're welcome. Um, but um, the movies takes place kind of in three distinct acts. We kind of have act one in the Dominican Republic, act two in rural Iowa, which I think is going to be really interesting to compare to the field of dreams kind of Iowa experience. Does this happen? No, it's Iowa. Spoiler alert, different experience when you're a non-English speaking immigrant sort of thrown into rural Iowa to, to play baseball and, and do as you will. Um, and then act three in, in New York City. Um, so, yeah, I thought this was a really interesting little movie. What did you guys think? Well, I, I, I think we can own I think we can only talk about this movie if we spoil it for people. And so very, very clear spoiler alert. If you don't want to know, if you want to watch the movie fresh, which I do think you need, you, you kind of need to do, um, stop listening now. <laughs> but oh, you're really uh, switching the drop off now. Yeah, this really. <laughs> um, we, um, uh, he, he, he quits. He, uh, he walks away um, from the game and um, uh, 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 goes to, to work in, in, in New York and, and kind of quits quits baseball entirely and you know that the, the first time i watched this was to, was 2009 when it came out i saw it at the movies in um when i lived in dc and you were literally a battery mate at the i was literally yeah um and uh the whole way through i, I didn't know what to expect i i didn't i didn't know anything about the movie um so the whole way through i kind of was excited and um kind of in anticipation and then and then he quits and and from that moment all the way to the end of the movie, I had this kind of uh, ball in the pit of my stomach, thinking how how are they gonna how are they gonna land this story that he in a credible way like turns it around and makes it and you know there's the big payoff at the end and he never does, and I just I remember walking out of the the the, the, the movie theater shell shocked because you feel that I mean one of the things that I thought was really powerful about the thing is it's filmed almost like a documentary like you're walking behind him a lot of the time you're you're looking at things how he looks at things and i felt like very kind of involved and so i was just in a daze afterwards just yeah. in disbelief that um he hadn't made it and the second time i watched it even though it's like almost 10 years on um i felt really tense because mm. i knew what was coming i felt tense the whole way through it just, just from a sort of a filmmaking perspective i'm you know i'm not the one who usually brings these kind of insights so maybe this is just an obvious thing or maybe i've just uh, managed to get lucky in spotting this but uh, you feel i just felt so close to him and that 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 gave such attention the whole way through the movie for me on this one and and that makes it very very watchable but also quite hard yeah i mean i i also really enjoyed the movie i i didn't totally did not expect them i expected him to quit that didn't really shock me i didn't expect him to quit i wouldn't wasn't shocked by him quitting but i, I just assumed the movie would end with him going back um or something that's um, really interesting yeah right like i was so i was so i was so um surprised when it was over when i was like they went to the credits and i was like what <laughs> I, was, I, yeah. I had to actually think about it for you know and Kate, your your point about the subtitles actually um, 
it was so funny because I didn't realize how much with like I'm usually watching movies or TV while I'm taking care of a baby right now. And so I didn't realize how much I'm of consumption of TV and movies these days. I'm doing like not actually looking at the screen, which you cannot totally. do with this movie. <laughs> no, 100%. No, there was no Candy Crush during this movie no. for me. Just one of my favorite ways to consume a film. Um, yeah, uh, to Matthew's point, I think, so one thing I was thinking a lot about was sort of uh, archetypically, what kind of a movie is this? And I don't remember, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we talked about Bull Durham, we sort of talked about the difference between major league stories and minor league stories Mm. and how major league stories tend to be about the shiny high stakes of the world and how can people sort of retain their humanity in these shiny high stakes situations. And minor league stories like Bull Durham tend to be like a lot more grittier and personal and character based and and much more about the character than about the world. And this movie kind of did both things in a really interesting way for me because it took this world of single A ball and made it seem so luxurious and so opulent, right? Because for Miguel, coming from the Dominican Republic and coming from sort of the world that he knew and that we had gotten to know, you know, even in a locker room with these like beat up leather couches, right? The way they shoot it, it still feels so much like luxury. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of what gives us a real sense of, um, sort of confusion or unease uh, throughout the movie is we've all seen, you know, these baseball stories, right? I think like the rookie with Dennis Quaid comes to mind, right? Where some unexpected person goes right. to the majors and is a star. Like, you know, we, <laughs> we understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Rookie of the year. And a lesser known film that I made at day camp with my friends, cookie of the year. <laughs> which was Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Rookie of the Year starring a chocolate chip cookie with a face on it. <laughs> In case you were oh, wondering how the, the humble beginnings of my own career. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think that part of part of our unease is sort of like we know the way this story is supposed to go, right? He's supposed to become a big major league star and, and we all clap and, and honestly... Uh, this movie feels very aware that there are going to be a lot of white people watching it and sort of it's sort of in and it's written and directed by two white filmmakers right so that's like interesting and complicated right and it sort of is inviting you into this space that isn't yours which is sort of an interesting way to put Mm. you in the shoes of Miguel who's having that same experience being you know invited into this like really oppressive white American culture that's being at times literally shoved down his throat with these plates of French toast. Right. Um, well, that's really, so that is something it's fascinating. Um, that whole se- they, the, that whole sequence about him ordering French toast every, every day at that diner. Um, it reminded me of this, the story, it's Carlos Carrasco, who's on the, uh, a picture for Cleveland, um, did a, one of the players tribune posts last year. And, and I just, I pulled it up cause I, um, I wanted to get it right here. He said, during my first spring, spring training, I ate Domino's pizza every day for dinner. I'm not exaggerating. I had Domino's every single day. It was the only thing I knew how to order. So for 90 days, I ate pizza. I ordered so much that the Domino's near our facility ended up giving me one month of free pizza as a reward for being their best customer. And he goes, aside from eating pizza and playing baseball, I didn't do very much. 
for those first few years in the United States, I didn't really talk to many of my teammates, not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't know how. It, it's like such a, you know, but not like, and this movie does a really good job of, of kind of capturing that, um, you, what you, something that would have gone, goes right over the heads of most baseball fans that all these, um, you know, Spanish speaking players don't, th- 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 like communication is such a huge part of not just being a human, but of the game itself, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a few things that I think are really interesting on this point. So first is, so the filmmakers said in an interview that they started like reading and seeing these stories of um, Dominican baseball players and that they saw this common thread of like isolation, extreme isolation, and then um, leaving the sport and sort of just disappearing. Um, and they thought the the stories were so fascinating that they sort of started working on this screenplay and it became the next their next project before they even knew it was going to be their next project, which I think is like really interesting. Um, and it presents a real filmmaking challenge, right? Because uh, we spend a lot of, really almost all of Act Two experiencing that isolation with Miguel. And I did not find that a pleasant audience experience. (laughs) Sort of by the end of Act Two, by the time he's making the decision to leave the sport, I was like, oh my God, get out of there already. You hate (laughs) this, I hate this, everyone hates this. Um, And I think... To some extent, that is part of the way these two filmmakers like to work. Like if you've seen Half Nelson or their other work, they, they're making slow movies. They're mm. not making sort of these high octane, fast paced things, which actually makes it interesting. Their next upcoming project is Captain Marvel starring Brie wow. Larson. Yeah. So they, they're, they're cashing the paycheck now. They didn't do it then. <laughs> um, uh, but I think... Um, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because on the one hand, we're really getting this experience with this character of feeling so isolated and understanding why he would want to extricate himself from the situation. And on the other hand, we're kind of not getting the information we need necessarily to understand why it's so hard for him. Like he was a six inning shutout starter and then sort of without any explanation, he becomes a middling middle inning reliever. And like, how did that happen? Like, was he just in a slump? Was it just the sadness of like losing his only friends on the team? What really happened with that character? And also sort of like the broader experience of other Spanish speaking players in the league was like, there really no one else for him to talk to. Like there are so many Latino players in the league, but like maybe it's just bad luck that he was the only Spanish speaking player on that team. Or maybe I have an unrealistic expectation of how many Spanish speaking players actually are on any given team. I don't know, but that was the part of the movie that was toughest for me was kind of that second half of act two things fall apart kind of part of the movie where it was like why why is it all falling apart i i wanted i wanted to understand a little better what was actually happening with him other than this sense of isolation and depression that they did really effectively share with the audience you you sent Um, around this um this article about friends which i thought was really interesting about the spanish Spanish spanish-speaking uh baseball players yeah, it's this article from uh, the New York Times, if you want to look for it. The title is Friends, the sitcom that's still a hit in Major League Baseball. <laughs> and it's about uh, the extent to which baseball players, uh, Spanish-speaking baseball players, learn English by watching Friends, specifically. Um, and a lot of the uh, article focuses on Wilmer Flores, who plays for the Mets, and who's one of my all-time favorite players. He's terrific. Um, and just how, you know, he's seen every single episode at least seven times. He <laughs> watches Friends. He and 
and it talks about him buying all the DVDs, which I thought was just so great. And they're like, well, now that it's on Netflix, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that is a big deal that Friends is on Netflix now. Um, but I thought it was, you know, I was sort of, I, I made a, a little note in my document here. I was like, this movie came out in 2008 before Netflix streaming. What could Sugar accomplish in 2018? Um, so <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was um, a funny little window. The, the weird thing is, I, I I learned almost everything I know knew about New York from Friends. I'd <laughs> I'd watched all of Friends through three or four times before I'd even stepped foot in America. So, um, and then when you yourself moved to New York, you were shocked you were able to afford a townhouse in the West Village with your <laughs> salary. Yes, yes, I I, I genuinely was. But the, the, I think the, the 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 this this watching this again now is really interesting to me because of um, what the Nationals are going through uh, or, or uh, some. Of the players that are coming through for the nationals uh we just had this um, incredible prospect from the dominican republic uh make his major league debut uh age 19 uh juan soto um hit a home run with his first the first pitch he saw in his first at bat in his first start uh he actually pinched it the, the day before but we're going to leave that to one side <laughs> but uh, it, and, and, and uh the nationals uh, uh put up a video of um, you know all of his buddies and people that um, some people he played with, some people who came through after him, at the academy that the Nationals have in the Dominican Republic, watching his first at bat, his first pitch, and going completely crazy. So it's really interesting to, to see that at the same time as watching as watching this. But you know, even then, you know, to your point, Kate, there were you know thirty or forty people watching that uh, that at bat in this academy. Uh, the Nationals have have really had a, a strong group uh, coming through from their academies in Latin America, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, a um, couple of others. Um, but you know, it, it, there are there are a huge number of 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 of, of prospects, um, uh, and to to get that huge number of prospects, there 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 is an entire industry uh, down there that um, you know it. <clears throat> Is, is there's been some scandals and those scandals just give you a, a kind of a glimpse at what's been going on the backhanders the bribes the 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 nationals um uh shut down their academy over a uh, over a scandal the giants shut down uh, or had to restart their entire uh, academy because the some of the people running it were skimming uh, the players uh, bonuses um so the the whole thing you know and they obviously they're not they're not playing they're not coming through the draft system it's a, a whole different uh, thing for them and i think that that sugar kind of in amidst a whole range of different interesting strands i think gives a glimpse into um something that mlb needs to i think does keep an eye on but um it feels like it can be from time to time pretty exploitative yeah and i think one thing that's one of my favorite parts if not my favorite part of this movie um is the way it undermines the expectation that if you buy into this specific notion of white America, you will succeed. Mm. Um, and, and you will succeed in a way that is prescribed as success by white Americans. Mm -hmm. um, and the way, you know, we, and I think that really feeds into our expectations that like, oh, this is going to be a movie about sugar making it to the major leagues, mm -hmm. right? Because that's how we define success and it's what it looks like to us. Um, but then you look at, you know, there's this great scene of all the Dominican players at, the, at their academy sort of learning baseball lingo mm -hmm. and they're all repeating home run, fly ball, right? And they're, you know, these 
white instructors are making them say these phrases over and over. And then there's a, a scene shortly after that where a few of the guys are, are getting drunk, uh, which is against the rules. And they're all sort of mockingly going, home run, <laughs> that we're force feeding them um, this culture. And that, you know, then when they actually come to America and are surrounded by this culture, that that Sugar doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all. Um, yeah. And it's it's not for him. Um, and I that from that perspective, I think this movie is really successful. Um, and that to me was sort of the most um, from like a social justice perspective, yeah. sort of the most interesting point to, to make. I saw a, a really interesting um, angle in a review I read of, of the movie. It's not my own original thought, but uh, I'll share it anyway. That, that talked about the movie as a, um, a, a story about the immigrant uh, experience in America, the 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 outsider, the the expectation of and of conformity, the 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 having to go that much further mm. uh, to prove yourself than uh, the others. I thought there was really interesting um, side by side with the um, the the prospect who uh, grew up in Berkeley, had a Stanford um, scholarship waiting for him if he didn't make it in baseball, had got a one million dollar uh, signing. That they were very similar people. In the sense of their, um, you know, their, their background. Neither of them are, are white, but uh, in in terms of their uh, socioeconomic uh, status, uh, just so completely different. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, story that 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 the immigrants are expected to go so much further, that uh, they have so much more to prove and so much, uh, so many disadvantages. Yet, are told uh, uh, at all times are told a, a bigger story about America and what America means for immigrants. That to a lot of people just isn't isn't true anymore. Even if it was true for that for those waves, you know, over the generations. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the character of Brad um, because the actor who plays him, um, Andre Holland, I think is just a star. He's so good. If you've seen Moonlight, he plays um, the oldest version of, now I'm going to forget that character's name, of um, the the friend character. So he's the one who who makes dinner at the end of the movie. Oh, right. Spoilers for Moonlight, a man makes dinner. At the end of the movie. <laughs> um, and it's one of the most profoundly affecting scenes I've ever seen in my life. But I think Andre Holland is just a terrific actor and I think he's terrific in this movie. I think he's so good. Um, but to your broader point of sort of the immigrant experience, that's sort of, I love that about what this movie does in terms of sort of blending genre. It's like, this is an immigrant experience movie and it's a sports movie. And it kind of takes those two kind of archetypes for the way you tell a story and does them together, which I think is a really interesting experiment. And especially during the New York sequence at the end of the movie, I found myself thinking a lot about the song Immigrants We Get the Job Done from the <laughs> Hamilton mixtape. Um, and the the opening lyric is, um, I got one job, two job, three when I need them. I got five roommates in this one studio, but I never really see them. <laughs> um, and, it, and just the idea that... Um, that this life and this experience deserves like really thoughtful examination. I thought, I thought it was great. Um, I really, I really liked that part of the movie. I really came to like sugar a lot in that, in that part of the, part of the film. Um, So the second act taking place in Iowa and particularly right after we've watched field of dreams, right? Like that sort of rural Iowan experience is kind of marketed by Hollywood, by the Republican Party, by all these people as like America and like 
the truest American experience. And then with Act Three in New York, with a really vibrant and diverse immigrant community, and we're mostly hanging out with Spanish-speaking folks, but we're hanging out with Dominican folks and Venezuelan folks and Puerto Rican folks, and like this really true, authentic New York experience that is certainly much truer. I mean, I, I grew up in New Jersey and in New York City, so it's much truer to my personal upbringing, but it's a, it's a different kind of American experience that the movie is saying, hey, this is just as valid. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people, this is the kind of American experience that becomes uh, very welcoming and, and home to them, as opposed to this other kind of American experience where, you know, the in the sort of climactic moment when Sugar gets into a fight with a white player who says, you don't belong here, uh, which turns out mm-hmm. to be true. Which is what's really, which is what's, which isn't to say he couldn't if he chose to, but he's like, yeah, man, you're right, I don't belong here, and and it's kind of that realization that's making him so angry in that moment. Was my reading of that scene? Yeah, I mean, so I, I actually, um, well, let's let's actually, this is a good pivot to um, giving our number of balls, assigning a number of balls to this this film. Um, but uh, I'll volunteer to go first, just because I think uh, this. As a baseball movie, um, I, I liked it okay. I actually really just liked the movie in general. Um, I thought it was a. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put this in the list of, uh, you know, go watch these, these these the best baseball movies of all time. Or you know, I think you uh, th- you see these lists all over the, all over the place. But um, for whatever reason, I wouldn't put that on. Wouldn't put it this very high there. But I, as a movie itself, very high. So I'm conflicted. I'm going to give it four balls out of five. Um, Three is a baseball movie, four and a half probably as a as a film in general. I actually have. Oh, I'll let I'll let Matthew go first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say something really similar to to Toby. I don't think I don't think I got a lot out of it in terms of um, baseball enjoyment. Um, you don't see a lot of um, uh, of the game. I didn't really learn anything about baseball per se. Um, but it's, it's a really, really, really good movie. I, 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 I actually, I'm really glad we watched it again because I remember this from 2009. I've, I've learned so much more about baseball in that time um, and obviously lived in America during that, that time. Um, uh, but it, it's, just, it's just a really powerful movie. So I'm going to give it four as well. Um, but this isn't one to watch if you are, are on the lookout for a, a baseball movie. It's just a good movie. Just like it's like Rookie of the Year is a is is a isn't a great baseball movie but it's a great movie about modern medicine um it's very similar <laughs> matthew you'll get that joke uh, in episode 50, 58 of Andrew Bates of the movies when we finally cover rookie of the year sorry kate you're up <laughs> um so i have the opposite opinion of you guys oh. um which is always it's fun it's fun not to always agree all the time um which is i, thought, I kind of thought this movie was fine um, and part of it is just I watch and consume a ton of independent films. So to me, this this didn't feel very different from a lot of the sort of character portraits I watch. It, I didn't think it was doing anything that sort of wildly inventive or it didn't move me as much as I wanted it to. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think part of that was an issue of pacing. And I kind of I wanted them to, to pick, pick it up a little bit. Um, Captain Marvel it as, a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Marvel this shit. Where is <laughs> who has the superpower? Come on. Um, but as far as it goes as a baseball movie, I actually loved it as a baseball movie and would put it on a list of like, if you're a baseball fan, watch this movie, because to me, it is the 
first movie I've seen that gives you any kind of a look at other than, you know, Jackie Robinson, what is the experience of being a non-white baseball player and specifically a non-American, non-English speaking mm-hmm. baseball player? And to, to go back to you know what Matthew was saying and the more exploitative aspects of the game and the way that white owners and white fans really benefit from the exploitation of non-white people in this game, I thought that this was providing sort of a really personal look at that in a way that was really accessible. And so to me, I found sort of that information and that look at a side of baseball that I don't usually see and that I should have a more critical eye on as a fan. I found that to be incredibly valuable. Yeah, I guess that that actually is is very similar to what I was trying to say. You're just so much better at saying these things. Um, is a baseball I mean, when I say the list of baseball movies, I'm talking, I think I'm thinking of things that I like will watch every season or something. You know, this is one of those movies I'm not going to like go rewatch, but everybody not, should see it. For hard, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like it's that's one of the, it's a hard movie. Um, yeah. it's not, it's not made for your enjoyment. Um, right. which is, which is an interesting, yeah. right. It's different. Yeah. It's not what we usually like. Baseball movies usually are very much made for your enjoyment. And this movie yeah. wasn't, um, which maybe is why I didn't enjoy it that much. <laughs> <laughs> it just needed a lot more uh, uh, jokes, I think. It's just a lot, just a lot yeah, more baseball God, jokes. More jokes. More jokes. <laughs> um, I just, I was going to mention, I had two other little filmmaking notes that I had noted that I can say if you want, and you can use them or not use them. Go, go for it. No, yeah. Um, so one was that I thought this was one of my favorite character introductions I've ever seen in a movie, which um, we talked about, Toby, when we talked about um, 42, um, this idea that when you introduce a character in a movie, you do it with interest, sympathy, and empathy. And that almost always happens through dialogue or conflict. But in this movie, they did it entirely silently and through baseball, mm. which I thought was terrific. And so right when the movie opens, it's the scene of all these players, and you don't really know who you're following, like who's who are you supposed to be paying attention to. And then we have our moment of interest, which is Sugar throws a pitch, and there are these two kids with the gun, uh, the speed gun, and they the kids look at each other like, wow. So you're like, okay, this is who I'm paying attention to, this pitcher with the great arm who's pitching really fast. And then you get a moment of sympathy, which is when you, you see a character having a problem, you understand what it is, which is that he gets an easy pop-up and he drops it. And we sort of see that he's embarrassed that he's done this in front of these scouts. And you're like, oh, no, sugar, what are you going to do? And then we get our moment of empathy, which is you see how the character handles his problem. Um, And so we could imagine, right, sugar getting angry and storming off the field. That would be one kind of character or sort of like bearing down and throwing a perfect strike. That would be a different kind of character. Mm. But what sugar does, do you guys remember he no. throws the ball at the batter's head. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we sort of are like, oh, no, did he lose control again? But he gives this great little smile. You know he did it on purpose. And he's giving a little, like, this is my house. Don't fuck with me. And I loved it. It was one of my favorite character introductions I've ever seen in a movie, completely without dialogue. So clever. You know exactly who this guy is. I like him so much. I'm immediately on his side. So I thought that was just, like, a brilliant little piece of filmmaking right to open the movie. I thought that was great. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was this kind of early establishment of, of stakes, which was this scene in the Dominican Republic where um, we meet the pitcher who played double A ball in Portland, mm, never yeah. made it to the majors, 
and comes back home and is selling cell phone chargers that yep. don't work in the streets. And so that is sort of this clear picture of exactly what Sugar does not want his life to become. He's like, this is the worst case scenario, right? Right. That I make it all the way to the U.S., fail and have to come home and shame and sell cell phone chargers. And so that's really, so that's the true beginning of his arc. And mm. then the end of his arc is when he makes the decision for himself to, to leave uh, baseball and go sort of pursue a different life in, in New York and sort of, you know, the, the gift of the movie is that we get to spend time with him in New York and see that he's not the only one, that there are all these players who either by their own choice or not uh, are now making new lives for themselves. Um, and so I thought that was that was a really nice sort of beginning and end point of, of the character arc for him. That makes that explains the New York thing so much more. <laughs> so much more to me. That that little the guy selling cell phones makes so much sense. Wow. Oh, that because that really yeah. shocked me that that his decision to go to New York. Hmm. Hmm. Kate, this, well, is, you why, know, this is why we have you on the show. He <laughs> also establishes that New York is this big dream for him, right? And he has, when he's in yeah. Iowa, the New York calendar that he hangs on the wall with pictures of the city. And you sort of, I knew that we were going to get to New York at some time during the film. That was not a surprise to me, but it's sort of like the he the New York that he dreams of is Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And the New York that he gets is getting off the subway at Yankee Stadium and going to, you know, the, the restaurant and, and becoming a dishwasher there. And sort of that it becomes such a dramatically different experience yeah. in the same geographical place um, huh. is sort of, I think that's, that's sort of in a nutshell what the movie is saying about baseball. Did I did I miss how many st- how many uh, balls you gave it, Kate? Oh, I didn't I didn't give it balls. I just said a lot of things and refused to put a number on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would I would say I would say three and a half balls. Three and a half me. balls. I, yeah, I like. I sort of I feel that I've handicapped this movie because I gave Field of Dreams four balls when we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I, I do like Field of Dreams a lot better than I like this movie. So I sort of feel I can't. I've, I've like become too harsh a critic. So, <laughs> well, we have we have um, we have. There's so many other movies we need to see in this in this series. Um, I, I feel like we should discuss off offline um, what's next. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I think maybe maybe a comedy. Maybe it's time for a comedy. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, this was this was fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed seeing a movie about. Baseball for the first time. Thanks, Matthew, um, <laughs> for making the movie. <laughs> um, joke. And, and Kate, thanks for, as always for joining uh, Battery Mates at the Movies. Thanks for having me, guys. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Awesome. Oh, well, that, you know, Battery Mates Movies is becoming probably everybody's favorite segment on this show. Maybe we'll just turn the whole podcast into that eventually. But the everybody's second favorite part of this show is the segment we call Stalking RX. And now we're going to take a look at what Trevor Tyler Bauer has been up to lately. So when we last left uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, he was calling out the Houston Astros for potentially cheating by putting pine tar on baseballs and increasing the spin rate. Um, Well, first of all, Things have not really calmed down much at all. Um, in spite of Terry Francona sending a text message apologizing to Houston Astros manager A.J. Hinch, um, the, uh, and Tyler, Trevor Bauer, who 
is mockingly calling himself Tyler because one of the Astros called him Tyler Bauer, um, made a donation to Lance McCullers' charity through his 69 Days of Giving program. If you don't know what that is, go back to the episode, that segment of Stalking Our X, to figure out what we're talking about with 69 Days of Giving. <laughs> it's a whole other chapter. Um, but this, this all culminated in a showdown this weekend where Trevor faced off against his um, rival from college that I didn't even know about, Garrett Cole. They were both on UCLA at the same time. Um, Cole went number one overall in the draft in 2011, and Tyler, ba- or Tyler Trevor Bauer went number three. Um, and apparently they hate each other and like really do not like get along at all, and, and it's not getting better. It's like years have passed now, and they're still... Anyway, they faced off against each other on Sunday, and just an update for Battery Nation, Trevor really showed him what he had. 13 strikeouts, seven and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, neither of them got the win because it went 14 innings, but uh, Trevor really pitched a fantastic game, and I would say got the better of the, of the, was the better of the two. So we're very proud of you, Trev, and, uh, you know, keep it, keep, keep it up. <laughs> well, one, one day he's going to pitch, uh, he's going to open the pitching in a game that goes 69 innings, and then he'll <laughs> die. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be elevated into the sky in a beam. <laughs> well, um, that's a good note to go out on, right? It is a good note to go out on. We are, um, uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We are now open to suggestions for um, our next uh, uh, battery, Ma- battery Mates at the Movies uh, film to review. I've already had a request from uh, Ross Morales Ruchetto for Airbud 4. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seventh inning uh, fetch. Seventh inning fetch, uh, which I just watched the trailer for, and um, I'm feeling a bit depressed about the state of humanity. So we might do that one next. We've had good movies so far. Maybe it's time to watch a bad one. Uh, but if anyone's got any suggestions, please tweet at us at battery underscore mates. Uh, don't forget to join our uh, email newsletter by going to tinyletter.com slash battery mates. And I don't think we've mentioned this in a while, but um, we are super pro people leaving reviews on our uh, iTunes page. It does help us, uh, 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 more people find us, apparently. Um, I say that like I know what that means, but um, (laughs) it's always good to get reviews. We read every single one and uh, appreciate um, any feedback. And let's shag those balls. Yeah, I think we should shag those balls, yeah. You want to interrupt me again, Toby? Yeah. Moo.